The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. Any NBA fans in the room? Uh, I see a lot of people know. This is, this is hockey country, but um, tennis. <laughs> no, I don't have a tennis analogy. I'm sorry. <laughs> what did you say? Oh, March Madness. No, no, not, not that basketball. Professional basketball. Um, I'm in Syracuse country, too. I'm in trouble here. Um, well, I love the NBA, and uh, I just read a, a great article this past week on Grantland.com that uh, was an oral history of one of the most um, horrible events in NBA history. It's called the Malice at the Palace. Do you remember this event? Uh, several years ago, there was a hard foul given, and, and one of the players you know, punched somebody, and then somebody went and... Uh, the, it's kind of at the center of this was this guy named Ron Artest, who um, already to that point in his career had, was kind of known as an, an NBA uh, crazy guy. Um, but he, he went and laid on the scorer's table, who knows why, in the midst of this big, you know, it was looking like it's going to be a player brawl. And then somebody in the stands threw a, a drink on him, and he lost it. And he ran up into the stands, and there was fighting in the stands between the fans and the players, and um, it was crazy. It's the, th- the kind of thing that makes people go, see, the NBA is whatever, but... So Ron Artest was at the middle of this, except he's not named Ron Artest anymore. A couple years ago, he changed his name legally to Meta World Peace. And so if you see his Lakers jersey now, it's like, it's like this big rainbow of text, Meta World Peace, on the back of his jersey. And it's a legal name change. And it's, he's not the only athlete to ever do that. Um, you, you're, if you're a football fan, you know about Chad Johnson, who was kind of a, an NFL crazy, and he got fined for stuff, and he was, you know, he eventually changed his name to Ocho Cinco, because his jersey number is 85, and Ocho Cinco is 85. It's not 85, but it's 85. <laughs> Remember, he's a little crazy. <laughs> um, so he's now known as Chad Ocho Cinco. Says it on his jersey, Ocho Cinco. <laughs> Ah, I've trained him well. He's already laughing at my jokes. 11 months old. (laughs) Um, But there's other contexts in which we change our names, aren't there? A lot of times when when two people get married, the the tradition is that the wife changes her surname to match her new husband's name. Uh, Not everybody does that, and that's fine. Some people hyphenate. And a number of you young couples, I can say you young couples now because I'm like an old couple, uh, my wife and I. She's not old, but I am. Um, somebody, one of you math majors will have to tell me how that works out later, but I just know that that's what's, the, what's true. Um, but you young couples, some of you have, have each taken both names. That, I think there's like six or seven couples at Artisan who have done that. Um, so a name change is a pretty significant thing, and it says something about who you are. Ron Artest changed his name because he didn't want to be associated with the crazy person who had jumped into the stands and started punching fans. Um, Chad 
Johnson changed his name because he wanted his identity to be his football number. When you get married, you change your name because you're, you're saying, if, if you've chosen to do that, you're saying, I'm now this new person. I'm, we're starting this life together. We are new people together. So name change is a pretty significant thing. It's one thing to change your own name. It's a, even more significant uh, if God himself were to change your name for you. And by the way, if God ever suggests you change your name, maybe you want to do it. Um, so today's Old Testament reading is a story where that is exactly what happens. So, uh, somebody got a name change. So let's look at that. It's uh, from Genesis 17, and it's on page 11 of these red Bibles. Um, it's amazing how much happens in 10 pages of the Bible. I was thinking about that this week. Uh, you get from creation to the sign of the covenant. So let me read this to you. Now, the lectionary, which is the collection of scriptural readings for this season of the year, assigns these verses, 17, 1 through 7, and then 15 and 16. So those are the verses I'm going to read for now. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you, and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. Now we jump ahead to verse 15. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. <clears throat> There's a first thing I want to do with this, this passage is make note that there are some omissions from the lection, some omissions from the reading that is assigned to us by the lectionary. Um, and uh, because we are free people, we can look at those. There's no law that says we can't. But the first omission that I want to show you is the very next verse at the end of this passage, verse 17. And I, w- I want you to see Abraham's reaction to this, newly renamed by God, Abraham fell on his face and laughed. You ever laughed at God before? (laughs) And said to himself, can a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Can Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? So Abraham is is hopeless. He he doesn't, he's, he's he thinks this idea is so ridiculous that it causes him to laugh at God. It's like, fine, you want to give me a new name, that's great. Have you noticed that I'm 100 years old? <laughs> and my wife isn't as old as me. See, he knew too. <laughs> but she is 90? He's hopeless because of the practicalities of the situation and because this is not his first trip to the dance here. God initially made this promise to him 25 years earlier, you read in Genesis 12, this initial promise was made to him. It says he was 75 years old. 
And there's been a lot of struggle in the intervening years. He has tried to help God with this promise by getting uh, his wife's servant pregnant. And God said, no, that's not what I meant. Um, I will honor that, but that is not what I meant. Uh, He's tried all this stuff for, for 25 years. He's been waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. And now God comes to him and says, again, this is going to happen. I'm going to change your name. And all he can do is laugh because there's a, there's a certain hopelessness to the situation. So that verse, I think, is important for our understanding of what's going on here. That's the first omission, if you will, from the lectionary's assignment. The second omission comes in the middle, in the text of the verses that we didn't read between 8 and 14. Now, we're not going to read all of that. I will summarize it for you. What happens in there um, is that God says, after having said, as for me, I will make you a, the ancestor of a multitude of nations, what he says is, as for you, you shall make this sign of the covenant that we've made together, that I've made with you, and the sign of the covenant is that you should be circumcised, and every male in your household and for all generations shall be circumcised. Now, why is this important? Well, the first th- reason it's important is because uh, as you know, if you've, we talk about this from time to time here because it's kind of important for understanding our own Christian history. But circumcision is, it came to be the most important, the ultimate sign of, of what it meant to be a part of God's family. And then secondly, I'd like you to consider what this might have sounded like to Abraham, who's already dubious that this promise will be fulfilled. He's already dubious of his own body's ability to make his wife pregnant. And what does God ask him to cut? I mean, I don't want to be too graphic, but imagine Abraham's response to this. It's as if God was saying, you think you are strong, and you think this is going to happen because of something you're going to do? Let me show you exactly how much it's not going to be about something that you can do. And then God changes his name. He says, you shall be called Abraham. Notice it's not a complete overhaul of the name. He didn't say you should be called Meta World Peace. <laughs> it's not a complete change of identity. It's a, it's a slight shift of identity. It's a reminder of the calling. God says that, that you are going to be named the divine exalted ancestor. That's what Abraham means. And I love the fact that it's not a complete change. It's just a little shift. It's just a little tweak, a little reminder to Abram, who, sh- who from that day forward was known as Abraham. And I think that that's a, almost like a sign for those of us who feel like we've been on the path with God for years, maybe decades. And the fulfillment of the promises that we heard when we first came to faith seems wanting, lacking that God is faithful to to fulfill those promises. And notice what God says. He says, and I love how these little tiny words in the Bible make a difference. He says, I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. It's already done. He uses past tense. There's no baby yet, at least not by Sarah. But he says, I have made you an ancestor of a multitude of nations. Your name is Divine Ancestor. The work is already done, and I'm just going to name it. And Abraham believed God enough to act on the command that God had given him, to make that very specific sign of the covenant 
and his belief was enough. And as you know, if you know anything about biblical history, God did complete the promise. Abraham and Sarah together did have a child. And the nation of the Israelites was born. All because Abraham believed God enough to act. Now, centuries later, in the time of the Roman era, this nation of people that started with Abraham and Sarah was still intact. It had grown to be a a great nation. Um, Despite many incredible challenges along the way, uh, and probably the Israelites' best efforts at screwing everything up, uh, they were still alive and kicking in the Roman era. But that Abrahamic faith had evolved, and I use that term sort of loosely, into a law-based system where you stayed right with God by obeying a list of literally hundreds of rules. But as Christianity was born, Paul wrote in his letter to the Roman church that the law is not where this whole grand adventure with God began. He reminds the Roman Christians, and I think by extension reminds us, what the real source of our hope is. And this is, this is an awesome, awesome passage. So it's Romans 4, and it's 13 through 25. It's a, it's a little bit long, so hang with me. You can follow along in your Bibles if you'd like. But I want you to hear these words. This is, again, the Apostle Paul writing to the Christians in the church in Rome. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason, it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham. For he is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Hoping against hope, he believed that he would become the father of many nations, according to what was said, so numerous shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Therefore, his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now the words, it was reckoned... To him were written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was handed over to death for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. <clears throat> so the law exists as a contrast to faith, as a reminder that we can never make our own righteousness by the things that we do. But the law is not the source of our salvation. It's not the source of our hope. It is not the source of our righteousness, that is, our being right with God. 
being obedient to a list of rules is not what keeps us in the family of God. And that's a, that's a good thing. See, some of, us, some of us have made a mess of ourselves. Our good name has been dragged through the mud, and we were the ones pulling on the rope. And we don't have any hope of restoring that name. The only hope that we have is to take a new name. Others of us were handed a mess the day we were born. Our father, whether we mean our literal male parent or uh, I also mean that to be the situation into which we were born, the circumstances that were imposed on us outside of our control. Some of us were born into a, a fatherhood that left us with little or no hope. And for those, the only hope is to be adopted into a new, loving family that will provide the support we need. I have a, a friend. I had a friend in college named Dave. And he was one of the people who was born into an unfortunate family life. Um, he had few advantages and uh, was given little care by his biological parents. But he made it out of that situation to some extent, uh, due in large part to being um, to, to, to a, a family that sort of took him under their wing. I mean, even the fact that he was able to get to college was pretty remarkable, given what he'd been through as a, as a child. And during uh, his senior year of college, so he's probably 22, 23 years old at this point, Dave had an amazing experience, one, one that he would still say to this day was one of the most important and significant things that ever happened to him. That family that had cared for him during his high school years and had sort of taken him under their wing adopted him legally. He's 22. He didn't need, didn't need parents to take care of him anymore. He wanted to be adopted into this family officially because that, has what, that was what had gotten him through. And so as a, as a 22, 23-year-old senior in college, Dave suddenly had a new father and a new mother and a new sister, a new family. And I think that uh, that was such a beautiful thing. And what we're offered by God is nothing less than a new spiritual family, a spiritual adoption into the family of God's chosen ones. And we can all become Abraham's children, God's children. The way that happens is, is by our faith. Faith always leads to hope. Um, I want to read to you a, a beautiful statement by one of the early church fathers, Origen. It's his name. And he's writing about this passage in Romans that we've just looked at. And here's what Origen said. As always, when the Apostle Paul talks about faith, he adds hope as well, and rightly so, for faith and hope are inseparable. He goes on to say, just as Abraham believed against hope, so all believers do the same. 
For we all believe in the resurrection of the dead and the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven. These appear to go against hope as far as human nature is concerned. But when we take the power of God into consideration, there's no problem. So for those of us who have ruined our own good name and dragged it through the mud, and for those of us who were born into a a family who had a father, literal or figurative, who left us without any hope, Paul's words that Abraham's faith counted for righteousness are so significant. Abraham's willingness to believe is what saved him. But see, there's nothing, there's nothing special about Abraham except that God wanted to do something special in his life. And Abraham was bold enough to say, yes, I believe. And I believe enough to act. I'm going to take this step that you've asked me to take. Nothing special about Abraham except that God wanted to do something special in his life. And I believe wholeheartedly. I would not blow smoke about this. I believe that God wants to do something special in your life, each one of you as well. And the only question then is, do you believe enough to act on the promise that you hear, be it ever so faint? This is the biggest question I think I could possibly ask you today. Do you believe enough to act? I'd like to ask you to respond to uh, these passages of Scripture and these ideas of a new father and a new name in a particular way. Uh, at the corner of these, each seating section here are some scraps of paper. Would the people who are sitting closest to each scrap of paper or each pile um, grab those and pass them to people? I'd like each person to have a, a scrap of this brown paper, uh, please. Now, there, uh, if you don't have a pen with you or a pencil, there are pens under your chairs. I want you to take a pen. And here's what I'd like to ask you to do. As you pause for a moment to respond to this, I'm going to give you a, a minute or two of silence so you don't have to rush. What I'd like to ask you to do is think about the fact that Abraham was given a new name. When God made a promise to him, he gave him a new name, exalted ancestor. That's a pretty cool name, exalted ancestor. What I'd like you to do is think about what you hear, we might hear God saying to you, what new name might God be giving to you this morning specifically or as you think about your life of faith? And that, that model of exalted ancestor is a great one to use. If you can't come up with something, you might base it on that. So you might say that you are, you are a humbled teacher or a called missionary, um, or an evangelistic barista. <laughs> um, or an adopted son, adopted daughter. Some of you are really, uh, really drawn to the idea of being adopted into God's family. And if that's the thing that has really spoken to you this morning, you might make that the new name, adopted son or daughter. 
I'm going to give you two or three minutes to write those words down. Um, open your, your hearts, kind of shut your brain off from this praying at God and, and maybe pray by listening to God for just two or three minutes. So if you haven't already done it, I'd ask you to write down that new name on your piece of paper. And what I'm going to ask you to do with it, if, and, and if you want to keep it for yourself, you can, but we're a community of faith here, and it, it's nice to share these things with each other from time to time. Uh, and so as kind of a visual way of us understanding that we've all been given this new name, I'm going to open this baptismal font that we had last week. Remember we had the water in there last week and we remembered baptism as we came to communion. You could just put your pieces of paper in that bowl. And as it starts to overflow, if you want to set them on the communion table, you can do that. Um, and if you, if, you, if you don't want everybody to see what you wrote, that's okay. Nobody's going to look at everything. Um, but if you want to keep it for yourself, that's fine. If you want to place it face down, that's fine. Um, but I think that we might all be actually really encouraged and amazed to just glance at one or two of those as we come to communion. Uh, and see the names that God has given to us, the calling that we want to live out. And for those of you who, who may be experiencing um, in your heart a, a, a sensitivity or an awareness of God's calling and, and speaking to you, um, this might be like the first moment of expression of faith for you. And if that's, if that's true for you, I would really love to pray for you. And so what I'm going to do is we take communion and um, sing some more songs together. I'm going to just sit in one of these front rows here. They're, they're empty as usual. And uh, if, you'd like to, if you'd like to come up and just uh, tell me what, what you've experienced, and I would love to pray for you, um, especially if that's, if that's an initial step of faith for you, if it's a first moment of belief and action, I would love to pray for you for that. Uh, for the rest of our service, our response to the Word of God is the table of communion, the table of our Lord, where we remember His sacrifice, where the blood, uh, the blood that He shed is represented in the cups of wine and juice, where the, the body that was broken is represented in the bread, and where we receive those elements as food for our souls, where we do that together. And our response is to to take those new names and, and uh, place them in the baptismal or on the table uh, and, and be encouraged by what you see as people uh, express that, that calling that God has given them. 
So however you may sense God responding you to, or calling you to respond to uh, his word this morning, do that as we continue to worship him in song.